Hey guys, welcome back to Verdict Momentum. I'm your host, Richard Kaufman. Welcome back, VM Nation. Guys, as you know, I'm a professional wrestling fan since I've been four or five. That's why I love my intros. That's why I love talking the way I do. Because some of my favorite wrestlers were from WCW, NWA, and Mark happens to be one of those amazing people where he's going to be telling his story, and not only about wrestling, but about wrestling with our own demons because everybody knows I'm a recovering addict and alcoholic for 34 years. So I wrestle every single day with my demons and we're going to tell you, teach you how you can defeat some of your demons. So make sure you stay until the end. Mark, my brother, welcome yeah. to the show. Hey, hello there in uh computer land, TV land and all those other kind of lands, brother. If I had to be anywhere, I'm glad I'm here with you. Brother, I'm so grateful. Like I said, I'm, I'm a big, big wrestling fan. Always have been, always will be. But before I even get started, my first question is, what is your definition of resiliency? Resiliency. Um, I, think the, I think the first part of resiliency is, number one, understanding who you are. I mean, if we lie to ourselves then how do we know how resilient we can be? So I think it, uh, I think uh, resiliency is being able to take that inventory, that self-inventory, understanding what we can, cannot do, and then saying, okay, I can accept that about myself. Now, where can I go to remedy those situations that I still need a remedy for. See, uh, to me, resiliency is not about having all the answers. Just like when I was in grad school, what they taught me was being how being smart is not knowing how much you know. It's knowing where to go to get the answers. Does that make? I, I hope I'm not trying to be too abstract. Does that make sense, Richard? Yeah, I mean, and I always have that conversation. You know, that's what going to college is. It's not getting the education. It's learning how to find the answers. Exactly. So, it's just a game of regurgitation is all it is. Yep. All right. So let's hop into it. Like I said, um, I'm a big wrestling fan. I love talking about recovery, resilience. And if I can get a, a guy that's actually been in the ring with some of my favorites, Ric Flair, Rick Steamboat, oh. uh, some of the some of the greats, um, I, and especially you know I love talking about my brother Sid, and we're going to be talking about that in a little bit. But before that, we got we got to hop in a wayback machine, get into DeLorean, and find out who Mark was before he became the man in WCW and NWA. So let's hop back in the wayback machine. Talk. Okay. All right. Uh, Mark was that guy that, um, never thought he was worth anything to be quite honest. Uh, wrestling was my stepping stone to believing that I could actually accomplish something. A lot of people don't know about me, uh, don't know it, but I was two months, uh, from, uh, reporting to i had four invitations one was to bradenton or pirate city to pitch for the pittsburgh pirates 
the other, and this is like 1985, 1986. Um, Rod Gilbreth, who had been a second baseman for the Braves years ago, him, he was playing second. Daryl Cheney was playing short. You may remember those guys. Um, Gilbreth tried me out. In fact, I talked with Rod a couple years ago. And uh, when we got further into the tryout, he, he looked and he said, you know, I still have your file in my attic. And I said, buddy, that's an old file, probably an ugly one too. And he says, well, there's a lot of ugly ones up there, Mark. And, uh, but uh, I grew up uh, in a family that where my dad was beaten by chains. Uh, my dad, it was, it was kind of like the fact it was one of those situations where every week, or every two weeks, there seemed to be a new family that was a family friend. But it was not till I was older that I realized that as soon as my dad would allow people to get so close, he would run. He was afraid to show people who he really was. Now, I think in a sense, that became my catalyst as I got older in that, you know what, if people can accept you, it's their problem. The one thing we can do is be honest. But I was that insecure kid, youngest of five, slept with a baseball bat as a kid, ready to kill my dad if he walked in the door. Um, had a gas station. We owned a gas station. I remember getting fussed at because of, Radiator, hot radiator exploded all over my arm. Well, it was my fault. I got blessed out in front of the customer. Uh, that does a lot for your psyche, I'll tell you what. <laughs> but uh, your own dad throwing uh, wrenches across the Bay Area and all this kind of stuff. And there there becomes an old, uh, there became an old saying, nutting up. They'd say, Dad, your dad's nutting up. Better watch out. That meant all hell's about to break loose, basically. So I grew up with all the, I mean, it was insecure. What can I say? It was insecure. My mom did a great job. She got me to the ballparks. That was my escape. I set strikeout records as a teenager for different leagues and all this kind of stuff. And uh, people asked me, who is my greatest catcher? And it was a 48, it was a four by eight. I bought it uh, 84 lumber. And I would paint a, uh, get some spray paint and paint a uh, strike zone. And I would talk to that strike zone. And with a baseball, when I could throw one ball and it go through that four by eight, I figured, well, I must be able to throw a little hard. So then I went to a tryout. But uh, I never, I, I really never, my mom would tell me I was worth something, but I never really believed I was worth anything. And uh, it's, I think it's amazing how so many people actually can identify with those kind of stories. Yeah. I'm one of them. So I, 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 right. And I, and I get it. And so you get that. And uh, you know, so many of the readers, they think, why was I, why did I have a dependency when I was a teenager? Why was I, why did this happen when I was a teen or even, you know, you hear the stories like the Drew Barrymore when she was just a child and all these kind of things happened. 
all these dependency issues and all that kind of stuff. Um, Self-worth has so much to do about it. Knowing that you're accepted for who you are. And that's one thing about, about writing the book. Look, I am the bad guy in a lot of my life stories. But hey, you know what? I kind of had to forgive myself, but it was the man upstairs that did the main forgiving. And he's the one that showed me the next step. So kudos to him. But, you know, okay, now, like I said, I don't know where these conversations are going to go. But, sure. you know, like I said, I'm a, I'm a big professional wrestling guy. Always have been. Because my mother used to take me to matches when I was two, three, two, three years old. You know, mm -hmm. I, I got to know, you know, Dominic DiNucci and Bruno. Oh, yeah. All those Chief J Strong. I used to buy my my all my soda from Chief J Strongbow down there in Newark. Everybody, <laughs> nice Italian guy, you know. But um, like you said, they had a different personification than what they actually, you know, they actually shown. Like a lot of people hated on the Iron Sheik, but they really didn't know the man he was behind the scenes about how long he was married to his bride, what a great oh, yeah. father he was, or even like Mark Calloway, you know, the undertaker. Mm -hmm. They don't know that there are two different people. They don't see, they just see the undertaker or they see one. They don't see that. Right. And sometimes like for me, when I did certain things, I created another persona and I didn't want anybody to know who Richard was. So mm -hmm. I created the guy, Rick, you know what I mean? And I think mm -hmm. a lot of athletes and, uh, and just normal people will create a per, another persona just so they don't have to show who they really are. You agree? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, in my own identification, uh, I've had people ask me, what was my biggest mistake in pro wrestling? And it was I became Mark Smith, the wrestler, instead of Mark Smith, a guy who wrestled. Now, there's a big difference in that when you think about it. One, I'm saying that's all I identify with. So I have to live up to that stigma or I have to carry that stigma. But yet when it's and this is the great guy thing about like uh, talking about Dominic. Um, I used to wrestle Shane Douglas. Shane was trained by Dominic. Um I live, I'm actually from Griffin, Georgia, where Joe Scarpa lives, lived. Mm -hmm. And you know who Joe Scarpa is? That's Chief. Yep. Mark Scarpa and Mark Smith were the same age. We always sat beside each other in school. And to me, it was really heartbreaking several years ago um, when my wife came in and said, have you heard about Mark? I said, which mark? She said, Scarpa. I said, no. She said, call the gym in Griffin, Georgia. So I called Tuck's gym and I uh, asked him, I said, tell me, uh, my name's Mark Smith. I used to work with, uh, uh, Mark Scarpa and everything. And they said, really? Yes. I said, yeah. I said, I, I used to go to their house back when Joe, when chief would bring Andre and everybody to his house. I said, what happened? They said uh, he took a rifle, went to the back of his parents' property and blew his brains out. 
So when you said chief, that automatically gave me that flashback. And uh, and the funny thing is, if you're from New Jersey and you say the last name Scarpa, it has a whole different meaning. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Tell me. Well, because a lot of the the mob mobsters, a lot of their uh -huh. names were Scarpa. So I think I, I didn't know that. Oh uh, yeah, and like I said, a lot of my family are connected. So it was just <laughs> a it's a funny <laughs> thing when you say that when you hear the name Scarpa, you're like, oh my god, which one are they talking about? You know. So all right, so you know, let's let's talk a little bit about um, you're in high school and you're starting to feel your oats a little bit. But also, you know, you weren't the regular kid because your father would bring you into the the garage and sometimes you would stay from opening to closing. Oh, yeah. So you weren't the regular kid that just went home, went to school, went home and ate cartoons and sat in, in mm -hmm. front of the uh, in, in front of the TV, just eating bonbons. Right. right. Yeah, I could uh, get off the bus um, and. At that point in time, my, the guy I actually rode the bus with that would always sit beside me and we talk was the ex-NFL player, uh, Jesse Tuggle, who was all Atlanta, pro with the Atlanta Falcons. Atlanta Falcons, yes, sir. That's right. So Jesse is from Griffin. So is Willie Galt, who was with 85 Bears. Uh, Rayfield Wright back in the Cowboys in the 70s. So, you know, Griffin, Georgia has a lot of great athletes. The great um, uh, Wyoming Atias. Yep. The uh, track and field. Uh, we know her knew her family very well, but uh, yeah, I would get off the bus, get on the bike, ride a couple miles, get off, work for a few hours, get back on, ride home, um, do anything else I had to do, and it would start next day on on Saturdays. It would start. At, I'd be up at 6 a.m. and uh, we'd close sometimes between 6 and 7 at night. Um, and actually, that's where Mark Scarpa saw my strength because, oh, we rented U-Hauls. And you remember the old U-Haul carriers that would fit on top of the car? Yep. He saw me put one on a car by myself. And uh, he used some adjectives, and he says, Mark, i got to get you into a ring. I said, what? He says, meet me. So we went out to the woods to this ring, and we worked for, for a little while. And uh, the bug hit me just automatically. It just hit me automatically. Now, like I and, said, um, I just want to talk about Georgia for a little bit because yeah. I'm, I'm a big – I think, personally, Gordon Soley is probably one of the greatest ring announcers of – all time. I love Georgia, Georgia championship wrestling. I love that whole WCW thing. So anytime I think wrestling from Georgia, I always think of the, the golden voice of Gordon Zoli. Mm, without a doubt. And I mean, most, I would say over 90% of um, the TBS tapings uh, for Georgia championship wrestling was done right where Georgia Tech is, and they used to call it the old Turner Building. Yep. And we would get in, and I, I think it was like the second or third floor, which I thought was so weird. You'd go up an elevator, go to a couple just desolate rooms, get dressed, and come out and work your TV, and 
if you were working Columbus, Georgia that night or wherever else, you just get in, drive a, two or three hours. And, um, but uh, Gordon was a hoot. I mean, super nice. I, I, to me, two or three of the most nice, genuine uh, announcers, if I can call them from yesteryear, would be Gordon Soley and Lance Russell. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Lance yeah. was a doll. Yes. Yep. He was a doll. And that to me, that tells me Dave Brown over in Memphis must have been very good. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, Shivani worked with them. Um, so what, let me, you know, cause yeah. you were working with Mark. So tell us what your first professional match was. Cause a lot of people say, I know a lot of people and they're like, Oh, you know, you're my friend's a professional wrestler. You must make a lot of money. And my friends will be like, you don't even I made have a 10 look. bucks. I made 10 bucks back then. Look, there were no, I, I actually got mad when the show tough enough came on TV. Now I know bill. Um, and, um, several of them that were judges on there and that probably know Bill DeMott the best. Uh, but to me, I thought that was a free ride. I really did. There, there's, you learn so much when you're driving down the road guy says, I'll pay you 50, 75, a hundred bucks. You get there. He pulls out a $20 bill. He says, this is all I got. And you got to decide, okay, do I kick his rear end right now and let word get around? Or do I say, thank you. And then maybe he has a better show coming up in the future and he'll remember me because I took care of him. Those are all paying dues. My first match uh, Ken Timms was the booker. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. Blonde-haired Ken Timms. Yep. Years later, I ran across Tim in New Orleans, he and his wife and his kid. And I uh, came up behind him. I said, Ken, I said, do you remember that? Um, Jerry Blackwell was there that night, too. He was running it for Vern, small little house show. And um, now that was AWA. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I asked him, I said, uh, remember that show? His eyes got kind of big. He said, uh, yeah, good to see you. See you later. He knew he owed me money from that show. So anyway, <laughs> but uh, uh, it was against Jerry Oates. Okay. Jerry and Ted Oates that were from Columbus. Yes, sir. Yep. And Jerry called the match. Fantastic. Uh, that night, I actually, myself and Jim Fordham, who had retired as one of the master medics back in the Southeast region, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years beforehand, Jim came out of retirement and worked a slew of matches with me so that I would get known as the master medic. And then I started working as the master medic. And what, re- Go ahead. what was it like? Because there's a difference, I, but I, I see it because, like I said, I'm friends. I'm friends with a lot of them. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I, I got a lot of guests coming up that, that are I can't wait to be able to chat with. And a lot of UFC veterans, a lot of WWE, WC guys. Right. And they're, they're kind of like the military, you know, that whatever, usually, usually not all the time, but it used to be that whatever happened backstage, it stayed. Oh, yeah, kayfabe. And usually, like, if a veteran would can only will usually open up open up to another veteran or first responder will usually open up to another first responder and a lot of times when that jerk it when that that you know whatever's going on backstage is you know once that curtain goes up open it's showtime so mm -hmm. what was that like walking back you know being being get being a rookie and you're walking back and seeing some of these legends what were they like behind the scenes well, first off, they look at you and they look at you in such a way you didn't know if they were cross-eyed, cockeyed, or whatever, because they were kind of looking at you like, who the heck are you? And um, the best thing you could do is find somebody you knew and just go up and just listen. Just listen. And uh, word would get around. I mean, I think the the biggest time I was blown away uh, I think Kevin Sullivan maybe had been had started doing the booking in Georgia yep and um, he's on my list of somebody I wanted to talk about by the way so oh okay Kevin Ke yeah. I'll tell you what I like Kevin in fact Kevin if you by chance are watching I want to thank you you showed me ring etiquette you showed me how to be a pro everything thank you kevin and also i think kevin besides you know jake roberts mm -hmm. he was probably one of the best ring psychiatrists psychologists he knew he knew how yeah. to get people going without doing all the high spots so i yeah. I, I just want to give him that shout out because i know that me and you think about that the same way that the ring psychology is missing so much in today's professional wrestling yeah it's um you could see the same gymnastics in the olympics really i mean what you see a lot of today running through the ropes um hitting a guy coming through the middle ropes um i actually ran into sammy zane about two weeks ago and uh I just asked him, I said, Sammy, who, who trained you? And uh, he told me about a guy up in Canada that trained him. And then he looked at me real serious. He said, you're a promoter, aren't you? I said, no, man, I, ha I had my chance, but no, 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 no. I'm just here. I have an autistic son, and I took him to a match. And, um, but... There's really something when you're talking to someone in the business and you've been in the business, there's something that they catch on to that's a little bit different about the way you talk to them or whatever. Sammy just, he just froze. He said, you're a promoter, aren't you? And uh, Vince had, I had been contacted about being a promoter back in around 1987, running a spotter leg for WWF at that time. But um, 
getting back to Kevin, Kevin knew, and this was the old saying, if you want to see a show, go to WWF. If you want to see a fight, come down to the NWA. And so we laid it in. I mean, the blood blisters, who cares? You know, um, I ran across a match the other day. It was me and it was Kevin, myself. There was a tag team. It was a varsity club thing. I don't think it was Steiner tagging. I think it was Rotunda, actually. It was, because it was just a few days after the Bray Wyatt thing happened. And, of course, I was telling my kids, you know, I worked with Bray's dad. And I pulled it out and showed it to him. But, um, Kevin, I mean, all you had to do was watch him. He was that good. All you had to do is watch him and how he dealt with other people. You understood the psychology. He did not have to put on a show for anybody. If you stunk, he'd tell you you stunk. I think for like four weeks in a row, when I started working TV, he continually worked me on TV. People would say, man, you had the worst luck pulling Sullivan again. Oh, my God, you had the worst luck. I'd say, no, I didn't. The dude wants to work me. That's a compliment. But, you know, but a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that talk crap about bookers. You know, they talk crap about Dusty when he was booking, when other guys, when they were booking I've never heard one person say that Kevin was a horrible booker. Not one. Out of the whole time of, I've been a fan and I've been studying the, the, the business, not one person ever mm-hmm. said that he put others over or even himself over. He, he always put the business first. Well, could you, I mean, just think about the angle he ran with Chris, Chris and Nancy. Yeah. Who else could have done that? That's on my list, too, to talk about. But, Who else would have done that? Yeah. And I remember seeing Nancy saying hello to her and she walking down the hallway. And, um, you know, I never knew Chris. He was, you know, I was before his time. But uh, definitely I'd run across Nancy. And uh, she was sweet. She was sweet as she could be. And back then, she was known as woman, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So now, you know, because I've seen, I watched every match I could find. I mean, I YouTubed. Your your name is all over my YouTubes. So I watched every match that I could find, you know. And so what was it like? Because, you know, there's there are, and I, I love Steve Borden. I love Sting. I, I think he is an icon, not as a, not only as a wrestler, but as a man. But what is it like, you know, going one one week going to a ring with a wrestler and then another week going into the ring with an icon like somebody like Steamboat, like somebody like Flair, somebody, you know, mm-hmm. so, some of the big name guys, because they're they're not just they are the business at some point. Right. They were the business. So what right. was. Um, 
what I love to do was look at their personality. I wanted to see if they believed that they were the business or not. Because I understand where you're coming from, but you know what? Think about it. Uh, people thought Hulk Hogan would last forever. He didn't. You get what I mean? There, there, there's always going to be an angle to fill in another spot. If but, that you makes know, sense. What you're saying, but also, you know, I've met Mr. Flair on many occasions. Mm -hmm. The same man you see in the bar is the same man you see on the street. So he he was Ric Flair 24 hours a day, oh, yeah. seven days a week. Yeah, um, I actually have a story. If you want to hear a quick story, I got a story for you that Ric Flair does not even know. I love stories. Okay. My brother was a pastor down in South Georgia. Uh, we had been working the, a circuit down in Florida. I don't remember how many dates or whatever. And we were coming up through Savannah, Georgia. And we worked Savannah. And it was close to New Year's Day because I remember everybody was talking about the bowl game. And Rick was a big Georgia fan at that point. So he was, uh, I think he was driving a, like a white Cadillac. It was a rental car. But he drove up and everybody was talking football. Dog was there. Dog was talking football. Just Ron Simmons. Um um, I mean, you just you just named some of the heaviest hitters, Ron Simmons. I mean, All American, you mm -hmm. know, JYD, one of one, another athlete that came from another sport. So you just named some of the biggest heavy hitters that people, if you they, if they Googled them, we were like, wait a minute, Ron Simmons was an All American. I just knew him as you know Ron Simmons, but I think that's great that. You, you know, you were, you were a guy of history also. Oh, well, thanks. Uh, he could throw a mean Nerf football, I'm telling you. That's what we did under the stands, throw Nerf footballs. But uh, he, he, he loved poker. He loved poker. Um, in fact, all the stories I've heard about Andre, the way Andre loved to play cards, I, I can picture Ron, you, you pulling out Andre and putting Ron in there. I mean, Ron, when he was... When he was uh, playing cards, the stories would flow and the filters were off, you know. But he, he, he was great to listen to. And a lot of times when that would happen, Butch and I would be throwing football or Dustin Rhodes, whoever's there, you know, we would be throwing. I, I, would, I would throw the road, road Warriors. If they were hungry, they'd go, uh, Mike would go, Mark, with that rescue, Mark. I go, yeah, what's up? He'd go, you want a dog? Sure, I'll take one. So he'd find the, uh, one of the ushers or whatever. Go get us about a dozen dogs. Tell them it's for Hawk. Guy never asked for a dime. So the guy would go get the hot dogs, come back. Joe, um, Jim, and myself would be eating dogs. I'd only put down a couple. Gosh, they could devour them. And maybe Dustin or somebody, whoever else was there, might grab a dog too. 
But uh, and we would we'd be watching the matches outside from outside from the curtains. We'd be peeking through the curtains watching the matches. And um, but uh, you know I. I, f- I feel like it was a real blessing to be with those guys. I really do. I mean, Sid, Sid was so funny. Sid was Wait, the kind I'm, of guy. I don't. Go I ahead. don't want to make a story with Go Rick ahead. and his and his wife. Oh, Rick, the story. I apologize. Okay, I'm sorry. So anyway, the next night after Savannah, we go up. We drive to Atlanta to do TV. That then we had just started doing TV at Center Stage in Atlanta which was on West Peachtree, right behind where the Varsity Drive-In is. Anyway, we're there. Rick walks in. I had shot a Rue Shoes TV commercial with Sting, Lex, and Flair. A guy named Greg Evans and I had traveled to St. Louis, and we were shooting with all of them. The Steiners were there. Um, LOD, all of them were there. Anyway... <clears throat> This old guy, janitor, Rick walks in. I can see the top of his white hair. I went, God, I just, I was just with him. And uh, he says, uh, well, did you have a chance really to talk to him? I said, not much. He said, hell, come on over here. He grabs him by the arm, busts through. Now, this is a frail, probably 80, 70, 80-year-old janitor he's knocking these guys to the side back and forth like their paper rick this is one of the new guys you need to talk to him and rick looks at me and says hello sir how are you i said good to meet you he says now i've seen you we've worked together rush you oh yeah yeah how'd you enjoy it it was okay I said, I, I realized what the biggest spectacle there that night was, though. He said, what? I said, the main uh, banquet, and you walking in with that blonde hair. And he just started laughing. He thought it was hilarious. Well, I said, uh, Mr. Flair, believe it or not, I don't know if you've ever been told this, but tonight you have the chance to alter a person's spiritual life. Now, Rick Flair being told this, you know, he, he goes, what? Yes, sir. There's a guy uh, down in Brunswick, Georgia. And uh, he's a county commissioner. Or a wildlife commissioner. Might have been a wildlife commissioner. He's been going to a church down there. And he, he said, when the pastor asked him, said, what is it going to take you to understand God is really real? He said, it's going to take a miracle. The, the pastor said, what kind of miracle? He said, give me something from Ric Flair. So I, um, I told him, I said, if you would tell this guy to just give church and God a chance, let God do the rest. Now, understand, I was no choir boy. You know, I'd probably been putting down the night before a ton with Tommy Rich and Cheeky and Brad Armstrong and um, 
Scott, Scott Hall, you know, all of them. I was no car boy. But um, Rick just screams. He says, give me a program. Give me a program. He reaches in and gets a pen. And he takes the back of that program and writes a full page letter to the sky. Well, I actually, before I, um, we do a shot in Albany. I think we do Macon, Georgia and Albany, Georgia. And I figured I would drive like two or three hours out of the way and go see this pastor. It was my brother. He opened the door. I said, here you go. Here's some flair. His eyes got real big. He called the guy. He says, your miracle's here. God said, what? He said, your miracle's here. He came, looked at it, fell to his knees in tears. He couldn't believe it. He ended up accepting Christ. He ended up having a Christian family. Uh, great, happy, married, children, all that kind of stuff. And a lot of it had to do with Ric Flair. And to this day, Rick has not been reminded of that. And that's been over 36 years ago. Wow. And so that story just touched me. So I want to get a little bit deeper. Um, but first, I want to thank our sponsors. Sure. Without them, this show would not go on. Guys, Everybody knows that your car is your second most expense, biggest expense that you can have in your life besides your house. And if your car breaks down, especially if you're a professional wrestler, you're not making money because you're not able to get the shows. So there's a company here, ENA's Friendly Service here in New Jersey, right here in Hackensack. They do the best work. They do the right job. And if it's done, if it's done, it's done right. And you don't have to go back and get it done a second time. They just celebrated 33 years in business because they do the right thing all the time, even when people aren't even looking. So, guys, if you need your, your car work done, truck, auto, whatever you need, ENH Friendly Service and Hackensack, the best you can get. And, oh, yeah, the owner is my cousin, and I love her with my, my whole heart. She's my, my, my sister, so I love her, so I just want to say that. And also, guys, if you're in New Jersey and you love Italian food, I'm a big eater, as you tell. I love to eat. Um, there's a company here called Muriel's Trattoria. They're right here in, in, uh, in New Jersey, right here in Bergen County. Make the best homemade food. And the best part is the mother came literally came off the boat from Italy. So whenever she makes something, she makes it from the heart and she makes it homemade from scratch. So, guys, if you love food, love Italian food, come out and check out Muriel's tutorial. So now let me ask you a question because now we're going to get dig a little bit deeper. Mm -hmm. You know, you've mentioned road warriors. You've mentioned um, Magnum TA. We, you've mentioned um, a lot of guys that are no longer here. And I think 80% of the people that you've mentioned are no longer here. Even the Armstrong's, the, you know, even the Von Erics, they're no longer here because there's a, and I don't want to just give credence to the dark side of the ring, right. but there is a dark side to the ring. And we're going to talk about that. 
So tell me, you know, because you had a career, you had a good career, but you also got banged up a lot physically, mentally, spiritually. So talk to us about about what happens when the when the um, curtains get closed. Well, for me, it was a previous marriage. My wife and I now, uh, my wife and I have been married uh, almost 32 years. And she's a beautiful bride, by the way. I just wanted to say it. Please don't tell her her head will get big. Anyway. <laughs> well, you're going to get hit again if you just keep that. I going. know, really. Isn't that the truth? She may not my smile straight. But uh, <laughs> anyway, um, for me, it was a previous marriage. Uh, it's one that I owe up to, and I, I really do appreciate my wife, Brenda, for allowing me to talk about this. A lot of wives would say, don't talk about your ex. Don't talk about this. Don't talk about that. She's got grace because she understands that we all learn from our past. Uh, for me, it was a situation where drugs had gotten involved. Um, my fault. I told you earlier, resiliency was knowing where you fail, accepting responsibility. Um, I was a jerk. A jerk. And I, now some people argue and say I still am. I possibly am. But back then, I was Mark Smith, the wrestler. Horrible got to be. A horrible SOB of a guy that existed. Walked in, she's laying face first on the bed. This sound, I do not know what it, what it was. Called her name, turned her over, see if she was okay. And there was this laugh that literally threw me off the bed. Uh, I went for a drive, came back and everything was normal. Uh, she told me she was going to leave and I don't blame her. I'd have left me too. But in cleaning up, I found a positive pregnancy test in the trash can. That wasn't her, none of this was her fault. It was me. I was selfish. I was a selfish jerk. I was probably, excuse my French, I was a total ass of a person. And I accept every bit of that responsibility. But like when we were talking earlier, there's no way in human terms could I have looked at myself in the mirror and I would have had the power to say, okay, Mark, I, you should forgive yourself. I forgive me, Mark, because I did all this. Nah, it took something bigger than me. And um, I remember walking into a church, got so nauseated, I went out three different times and threw up on the front lawn. That's how sickening I was how sick I was to be inside of a church. I walked in with 15 seconds before it was supposed to start. No kidding. It was between 15 and 20 seconds. I was timing it. And um, 
I'd guess about two hours later, about two, two and a half hours later, uh, the pastor tapped me on the shoulder. He said, Mark, are you okay now? Seems like everything that needed to be done, you've done it. And um, then it was pretty much, I mean, really, uh, I did not want to go back to college. Uh, I looked, I said, I'm not going back to college. I don't care what you say. I hate school. I'm not doing it. Screw everybody. I'm not going to school. I'll do whatever else you want. I'm not going to school. Well, I have a Bachelor of Science in uh, uh, Psychology and Theology with a concentration on marriage and family therapy. So, boy, you see who really won that one, don't you? Right, so, let's hop back a little bit further. Go ahead. Because, um, and we're, we're going to get back to, to the identity thing. Because mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people, no matter what job you get into, whether it's military, first responder, athlete, whatever it is, in real life, we all have a shelf life. And a lot of us don't realize we have a shelf life until you no longer are even on the shelf. Then, mm -hmm. like for me, the day I attempted suicide was Labor Day 2012. That's when they told me I'm no longer Sergeant Kaufman. And I didn't know who I was now because I was afraid of who was Richard. So what happened that you had to, that you retired and what was it no longer when you're now you're just Mark Smith. You're not Mark Smith, the wrestler anymore. When uh, when my first wife said she was leaving and I found that pregnancy test, that's when I realized I was not all powerful. That's when I realized that I could not control situations. That's when I realized, no, how big and bad I thought. I was as a wrestler. The fact is, is I'm flesh and blood. I've got my own limitations. And really, when you take that wrestler away from me, I'm absolutely nothing. So I said I had to look up and go, okay, who am I? And for the first time in a long time, I had to stop listening to other people tell me who I was, but I had to uh, start asking who I was. And I figure what better person to ask than the one that created you to begin with. Okay. Cause I know that for me and I, and I talk about this every day on my show, mm -hmm. um, it's hard for people to reinvent and reimagine their future. Like somebody came up to me about a year ago, even though I've been podcasting for five years and over a thousand interviews, somebody mm -hmm. would always ask me, well, what do you do? And I'll be like, well, I'm retired army. But then somebody asked me, well, what do you do? And I'm like, well, I'm an author, you know, I'm a podcast host, I'm a speaker. I didn't even think back to the military because I had, I recreated and I reinvented myself. So what does somebody do? You're getting, get, either they get out of the military or they get hurt and have to get out. How do you go about reinventing and reimagining yourself if you don't have that faith yet? Well, okay. Um, I think without, without a firm grasp 
and, and I'm going to use foundation. I'm going to use the word faith as a foundation. Um, when, uh, if you were to, like, you're just asking me, what do you do without it? I got to tell you, man, for me, Rich, Rick, Rick, it was like shooting, shooting blanks in the dark. Because as limited as we are, just as people, and it's okay. I think that's one thing that, man, in society, it's so crazy if you think about it. Why isn't it okay to say, I don't know right now? Why isn't it okay to say, okay, I'm going to figure it. I, I, I want to figure it out. What's wrong with saying, I want to talk to somebody. I feel I've got a lot of respect for this person. I, I need to get a different view. I need to get some input. I need to see a, a new uh, pair of eyes. You know, that, and I know exactly, I mean, what you're saying is so correct. How does a person, when they, that's a, that's a lot of stress to put on an individual. Think about who you are right now. You're different. Mm -hmm. What does it have to be that way? Why can't the whole thing be a learning process? And that's kind of that's kind of where I get with the condi- with with facing the demons in the book is is first just we being honest with who we are. You understand what I mean? Mm-hmm. What problems we have? Who we are? Who can we talk to? All this because I'll tell you whether it's God or whoever else, they will show themselves. They can very well show themselves through the love and the words of another individual. And like you said, you know, sometimes it'll take a Ric Flair mm-hmm. to come out of left field, yeah, and to say, "Okay, God's uh, God's like, hey, I'm here," uh, but you you may not get it through the church. You may get it from somebody you're sitting next to at a ball game. You know, you may you may get it from a little text message. Hey, bro, just thinking about you today, and, and you might be really struggling. But mm-hmm. God says, okay, I got you. I'm just getting your attention a different way. Because even in the Bible, God got people's attention in every different way. You know what, Rick, I think that's just amazing what you're saying there. Um, and I heard something one time. I wish I could say I made it up with my uh, CTE. Chances are I could say it. I made it up and... I would probably be honest because I really don't remember where I got it from. (laughs) But the thing is, this is think about God's the carpenter, our heart's the toolbox. Think about that. God will use your toolbox to create what I need. It could be vice versa. You get what I mean? That's just kind of like what you said. Isn't that a beautiful thing when you think about it? Things don't actually have to work apart. They can actually work together. No, and and it, like, really, 
a lot of times I would say, God, you know, if you're really real, speak to me like you did in the people, like you did in the Bible. And I still do it all the time. But when my father passed and I said, Lord, if you're real, you know, I want to see a parrot today. <laughs> what normal person <laughs> says I want to see a parrot? <laughs> but we want to eat and i look up and there's a little parrot and hanging down from the ceiling and i'm like okay god i get it <laughs> yeah you're real i get right. it <laughs> so but you know sometimes we just have to say lord you know i don't know how you're what you're going to tell me or how you're going to tell me just let me let me know that you hear me and sometimes the best prayer you can say is help I'm you know, listening. Even like when, you know, even when Jesus, when he was crucified, you know, the the, t the two criminals that were next to him, one was like, God, I don't deserve this, but I believe in you. And, and Jesus said, you will be at my right hand in paradise today. Mm -hmm. So he didn't have to say this big thing, have to go get baptized. He just said, Lord, I believe. Mm -hmm. And that was it. That's all it takes. But I think sometimes we get so bogged down in the minutia that we kindly just say, hey, dad, I'm sorry. You know? Yeah. I mean, you know, how else would a guy, I mean, the way I grew up, and back in my dad's gas station at Christmas time, that's where the KKK set up their uh, Christmas float. I accidentally walked up on them one time, not knowing it was the KKK. I was a young kid. I knew most of them. Half of them were the police department. And then you, um, in my dad's station, always the majority of his employees were African-American. Well, they would grab a rope and I guess everybody thought it was okay because they were doing it. It still, it still bothers me though. I don't like it. They would pick up one, carry them to the old lights, low neon lights, like in the uh, gas stations that would hang down from the ceiling, throw a rope over it and go, we're going to have an end hanging. Well, that's what I grew up in. And then if you haven't, I ask you, please look up J.B. Stoner. J.B. Stoner ran for Georgia Senate, I think, in 1972. I mean, his political, this is a political, straight political TV ad. Inward, 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 all the way through. Now, if, if I'm not, just like a lot of us back in those days, if I'm not a boy being bred, to, to hate races, I, I don't know. I don't know who else would be bred. I mean, goodness, that kind of stuff. But uh, people ask me, when do you know this book was done? It was April 2nd of this year. Because that's when not only do we have our three uh blood of uh, children, but we have two Hispanic children that their mother died of a brain aneurysm when we adopted them uh, 
And one of them's autistic, the one I took to the wrestling match I was telling you about. Uh, about seven years ago, adopted them. And then in April, adopted African-American child. And you know what? When I hugged that child and the court said, he is your child. It's just like you would hear from the Bible. It is done. That's when I heard the book. It's done. Mark. The, 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 the love, the road of love. The story's complete. Now it's time to tell it. No, let's go back to, you know, professional wrestling because yeah. for me, professional wrestler wrestling broke down color, color barriers before mm -hmm. a lot of other sports. Like a lot of people don't even realize that, you know, Ron Simmons was the first major world champion, black world right. champion. Or even, you know, even back in the WWF, even before races, I mean, Pedro Morales I mean, mm -hmm. then you had, you know, Rocky Johnson, you know, the Rock's father, and you had Tony Atlas. They were breaking barriers, and they were, before a lot of people were even willing to talk about race, professional wrestling were breaking barriers even way back then. Because even people like Bobo Brazil, everybody came to see Bobo. Everybody came to see, like JYD in Memphis, he would sell out the place every single time. And this is deep south. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, talking about that, um, I remember Lance, we're going back years now, and just talking and uh, I can't remember if it was Bob Cook or Randy Hogan. Anyway, some people I know down in Florida, old jobbers, friends with my, of mine. But um, uh, we were talking about a documentary that was on YouTube and what I didn't realize, and I give, he gets a lot of flack, but I give credit to Bill Watts because Bill Watts was the first man to make an African-American star. The whole premise, the major drawing card of the entire territory. Yep. And that was him and the dog. Yep. And so Bill Watts, he was a visionary. You know, I've heard all different kinds of things about Oli. You know, it's it's hard because I don't know Oli. Uh, the closest I ever got to Oli, excuse me, was backstage once or twice and in gorilla position. Gene was there a lot of time. And now, so that's an old tag team, Ole and Gene Anderson. They were I mean, they were tough as nails. They like, like even they would say, uh, you know, they were ch tough as two dollars steak. You know, yeah. they were just tough people. And even like Dick the Bruiser, all those those old school guys, they weren't doing the high spots. But you knew, even Ron Bass, if you went to see one of their matches, it's gonna fight. There's a fight. You know, they could they could use they could spend twenty minutes on just keeping the opponent from getting a tag, a hot tag, and that would be the whole premise of the of the match. And they would be they'd be walking out with ten times the amount of heat that they walked in on, walked in with. 
And it's all psychology. Look, they knew their craft. I mean, Oli, people may not like him, but he gets, I think, in, you know, as much as you hear about him, you think, okay, something's bound to be true, but probably there's your jealous people. You know, there's all these other people saying stuff too. So it's just hard to tell unless you were there, right? If I saw Oli, I'd shake his hand. Hey, brother, how, how you doing, Alan? Nice, nice to meet you. Nice to see you. You know, reintroduce myself basically because it's been so long. But um, uh, they they simply knew how to work. Uh, I mean, you think about Wahoo McDaniel. How many backdrops did you ever see Wahoo McDaniel take? Again, you're looking at another NFL player that came out from that's you know, it, and and he had that work ethic. You know, he they he had the grind. He he probably didn't. I, I mean, I remember watching some some matches with him and Flair. I mean, they would go 30, 40 minutes, and Wahoo was not a small man. Oh no! And you talk about those blood blisters. Wahoo would lay in those chops at about eighty percent. There was no cuffing. I mean, it was boom. And I'll tell you what, I mean, you know, he hit you so hard, the lights would flicker. That's, that's what he used to say about some people, hit you so hard, the lights would flicker. And, um, but, um, you know, great guy. Hard to get to know, from what I understand, just like a lot of people of that era, hard to get to know because they were so protective of the business. Yeah, and, you know, I think the first time, you know, kayfabe ever really got broken is when Hacksaw Duggan, when they got arrested, you know, with the cocaine. I think well, that was him and Snooka or somebody. Yeah, and that was just like, wait a minute, they were just supposed to fight. And now they just got arrested in the car together doing with, with a bunch of cocaine. But I, you know, but like you said, they protected the business. Like Ric Flair was always Ric Flair in or out of the business. You know, they're like my favorite band kiss at one time. You've never seen it without their makeup. Exactly. You know? But like I said, I'm a, like, I'm a bit, like I said, I love, I love the sport, but there's certain guys and, and I hope you don't mind me touching on no. this, but there are certain guys that, they were they looked like a million dollars, but even like some of the uh, the wrestlers said, they didn't they didn't love the business. Mm -hmm. like you had somebody like you know, like Luger, you know, professional another professional wrestler, another professional football player. Mm -hmm. You know, you had um, the Ultimate Warrior. Um, another guy looked like a million bucks. Didn't want to learn how to work. Didn't want to learn how to take care of the guy next to you. Or in the ring with you because that's a major part is trusting your who you're in the ring with so you don't get hurt right and guys they didn't love the business they love the money they love the women but they didn't love the business so talk about that being in the ring with somebody that loves the literally loves the business and then somebody that you know is just there for the money and the chips well you know i've First off, I'll tell you this. If I was going to do a job for somebody, um, my, my thought, if they love the business, was that 
they understood it was not good for the business to go in and do a two-minute squash match. Because, number one, you've basically ruined that job or you've ruined his credibility from now on. So what's gonna what's he gonna do? If he if he raises any kind of thing to any kind of a um challenge to anyone, how do you rectify that? Um on the free birds, I loved uh Terry Gordy. Loved Jimmy Garvin. Going to other teams. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed wrestling the Samoan SWAT team. Samu and Fatu. I really enjoyed it. Who became, uh, you know, he became Ritsukishi. Sam, Sam and I are still friends on Facebook. Uh, he loves to show off his grandkids and everything. I think he lives out in California. Of course, the Us, the, um, the, uh, Jay and Jimmy Uso. And but now, you know, look at, I think Rikishi is so underrated. They never bring him back for anything. They never give him the credit that he deserved because the such a big man that he was, he was like the Samoan Bam Bam Bigelow. They were, they just moved yeah. like they were lightweights. And I don't think he really got the credit for what he deserved, you know, being in, in that era. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's something like a problem with the family or whatever from the WWE standpoint now or whatever. I don't know. But um Imaga, you know, everybody from that bloodline, mm -hmm. like you said, they could move. They were so they were such great workers. And the ones I worked with, I thoroughly enjoyed them. I think working with the Usos now would be fun. I mean, they're the kind of people that if they wanted to call something and you were uh, you were going to take a bump for them, you could take the kind of bump if you knew your body and knew what you were doing, I loved, I loved, and this is one thing that Sullivan loved, he, he enjoyed about me, was the fact I could take a high enough bump with no help. I could take the kind of bump that I'd get a ooh from the crowd. I mean, I had um, Young, uh, Tommy Young, on several occasions, try to get me to be taken out on a uh, stretcher, on a gurney, because he just knew I was really hurt. I remember one time I took a, I was almost 11 foot on a uh, backdrop. In fact, I partially go out of the TV camera, TV uh, view, and I look down, and I'm looking down like this because, I mean, Tommy's way down there. And all I did was shoot off the guy's shoulders. Boom, I'm up there. I'm looking down, and Tommy's got this look. Just crazy as y'all get out. And, I'm, and I get down, and he says, oh, God, oh, God, just stay still. We're going to get somebody. Go say, Tommy, I'm okay. 
no, no more. I saw, I, oh my God, that was a hoax, hellacious thing. No, no, no. Just, just tell me I'm okay. So I finally looked up the guy that I was working with. And I still remember who it was. I says, go ahead and kill me. So we finished the match. But see, I love to get the rods out of the crowd with a big bump. I love to fool, to, to, for the referee to think there was just no way I was going to live through it. I was one of the first, I, I may have been the first guy that Brian Pillman stuck on top of the turnbuckle. It was a dark match. Stuck me on top of a turnbuckle. He asked me if he could do it. I said, all right, Brian, just give me 60 seconds. And I physically was using my hands, understanding how I was going to take a back somersault with a half twist and land on the concrete floor. After about a minute, I go, yeah, I'll do it. Are you sure? You know, he had that raspy voice. Are you sure? Yeah, man, I'll do it. Okay. Well, we go 20, we go out there, we're going running about 20 minutes, boom, boom, boom. I mean, he's giving, he's selling. I mean, we're just having a great time. He calls that spot. I get up there and I'm thinking, all right, I got my move. I just tell him, make sure when you catch me, catch me here on this shoulder. Catches me, bam. I go do my thing. I look down. And I'm coming down too perfect on the concrete floor. And I'm going, oh my gosh. The only time I'm fritzing out during the whole thing, I'm about five to six foot coming down on the concrete floor. And I'm realizing I could land straight on my feet, flat on my feet. So I just throw myself a little bit and I end up hitting against the, we didn't have those walls around the ring back then. It was those uh, metal, uh, the gates, things, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I did it. Referee gets out again. Gurney, let me get you a gurney. Let me get you. Oh, my gosh. Let me get you. No, no, no. It's okay. I'm fine. No, get you a gurney. Get, get, get. Go get Brian. Brian says, man, unbelievable. You ain't. I say, let's finish. Take it home before I kill the ref. He says, Okay. So we finish it up, go back there, handshake, handshake, handshake. Everybody, a little bit of crowd from the people around the monitors. You know, when you walk past Gorilla, you see, you see the monitor set up and everything. And uh, it was great. But I love getting those reactions. I loved getting those pops. But I think there's that's what's missing today. Like for me, I remember I would watch, like I said, back in WCW days, NWA days. You'd watch Ric Flair take a beating, then you'd he'd get hit once or twice, and you knew he was going to hit through the face plant. But it made the other guy look like, wait a minute, he's got a chance to win this match. Like, like when I was growing up, I would go to the Garden and I would see people like SD Jones. You know, I would see you know uh, I forget his name. His name was Rod. Uh, I, uh, but these guys, Danucci. You're like, what? They, they got a chance to win. Then they would lose it in the end. But now it seems like you said, you know, this everybody's just squashing everybody. And it's like, how do you build a match? How do you build a program if nobody's right. selling for anybody? Right. People are not going to watch. And I think this was found out too late. 
because WCW got horrible at it. And I love a lot of those guys, but the guys toward the end were horrible at it. And is that they would build four weeks worth of snot to just try to get one draw for pay-per-view. And man, you got to build a story all the way through. And like for me, like one of the greatest matches of all time for me was the Macho Man Ricky Steamboat. Oh, geez. I mean, that had to be probably the great one of the probably, if not the greatest match I've ever seen. But they said they wrote Randy Savage wrote like eight pages of stuff to go through to get that match to where it was to be a six star match. But there were so many different storylines in the match so what you know it wasn't like oh you know i'm gonna kick him you kick me it had the storyline and everybody ate that up and i think when you have a storyline people get emotionally involved and i don't see people getting emotionally involved like when when piper hits snooker with with the coconut people were emotionally people were trying to stab mm-hmm. piper they were so pissed off because they they build up the storyline. You know what I mean? I don't see. I mean, I like the bloodline story now, but I think that's about it. I don't see anything else going on nowadays. Yeah, I mean, you know, back when we were working even small towns. I remember Boaz, Alabama, Birmingham, Aniston. Uh, excuse me. Um, Albany, non-NWA shows, uh, Gainesville, Florida, different ones like that. You know, and I remember fans actually running through the front door of the dressing room to get me. And me, with my bag, bare butt, running to the car to get away. That's what we need. That's what the wrestling business has been missing for years and years. Well, I, I just watched a documentary about JYD, and they mm-hmm. were saying that when they did that spot where he was blinded, mm-hmm. people were going insane. I mean, they needed the National Guard to be at 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 the um, at the Omni and, and at all these events because literally fights were breaking out in the middle of the fight or when the Freebirds first came out and they started doing their thing with bad street USA fights would break out. It would, people were so involved. I don't see people being involved in it anymore besides wearing the merch and yeah. saying the, Oh yeah. I don't see people getting involved in it emotionally anymore. Well, even the walkways, you think about it when they come out, um, when I started, the walkway was merely three to four feet. You'd have a spotlight, single spotlight. Um, you'd have a cop on this side, one in front of you, one kind of two o'clock, and one in the back. People could reach over and grab you. They could touch you. They could pull your hair. They could hit you with something. They could shank you. They could do whatever they wanted to do. Well, now they walk in there. They walk into the ring. And this thing's 10, 12 foot wide. 
They're letting you know from the very beginning when that performer comes out there, you're not getting near him. He's off. You're, you're paid. You're paying not to invest in this guy. You're paying just for the right to see this guy. Does that make a difference? Do you understand where I'm coming from? Oh, yeah, because I remember like when I was young, 21, 22 years old, I rocked the NWO shirt. I was NWO. <laughs> I was NWO for life, you know, because I was. I felt like I'm, I'm part of a team. I, I mean, I know it's a weird way to look at it, but I was emotionally invested. I mean, I, I watched Nitro when it first right. started. I was I was involved. I loved it, and I felt like it was. Oh, that's my show, you know. It's kind of like I'm a Dolphins fan, so that was my team. But mm-hmm. then I, See that anymore i don't see like i was a i love the four horsemen i was always a horseman guy but that was like okay that's yeah. those are my guys you know i don't see people walking around with nwo or saying those are my guys anymore you know what i mean maybe no, I just, yeah i totally get it but then, but maybe after you know during the show but after the show you go home it's kind of like watching a movie then you go home but the last couple minutes i want to ask about something yes. because you're talking about battling your demons I battle with mine every day, even though I don't drink or I don't do drugs. You know, uh, I still battle the the alcoholic and addict mindset. Mm-hmm. Now, um, people like that we've lost, Devon Eriks, mm-hmm. Mike Awesome, people. You know, like you said, Pillman, JYD. You know, a lot of wrestlers have died under the age of forty. And a lot of people, yeah. if you ever gave it, put out a whole list, it's crazy. But on the other side, you also have guys like Nikita, Tully Blanchard, Steve Borden, Ted DiBiase, yourself, that have came to, came to Christ. And all, Ivan Koloff, most people don't even realize. Ivan, oh, Koloff, Ivan was great. Yes. But, you know, a lot of these guys now are trying to bring people to the Lord because, and now they can use that as their platform. So uh, you, do you think that faith would have helped save a lot of these people, a lot of these young men and women, because a lot of women have, have died from overdrugs uh, and drugs. Do you think China they- and Cherry Martell just break your heart? Yeah. I mean, think about it. No. Yeah. Uh, talk, faith- about, to talk about, you know, the, you know, the addiction sides. I know a lot of, it's it's tough on your body, you know. I know that I've been in the ring plenty of times. I mean, the platform is only like that much. There's mm-hmm. not that much give, and when your back hits, your back hits. So a lot of these guys and girls hooked on somas, painkillers, drinking themselves just to get to the next job, the next ring. So talk to us of what the body takes and the mind takes while you're in that ring and when you get out. Um. Well, yeah. Most definitely. Um, You can actually, we just saw with Aaron Rodgers a few days ago and uh, his injury. You can have an injury uh, that is almost as bad, but if you don't work, you don't get paid. Now, I've heard these Maven videos and everything and – about WWE and how they do get paid some if they're not working. You know, if that's the case, I'm, I'm happy because, buddy, if we didn't work, we didn't get paid. 
that's flat. And just to show you, um, I hope we do have a new um, generation of guys working. This right here, I don't know if you can see it. Yeah. That's me and Pillman Jr. About four months ago, we met up and we sat down. And we had about an hour-long conversation about his daddy. And uh, he wrote, I don't normally believe in angels. But I felt like in Hazel Green, Alabama that night, there was an angel sent to me, talked to me about my father. And I didn't know it, but it was the eve of Brian Sr.'s birthday. Um, well, yes, there are so many guys in the business that have been in the business that are confused. They, uh, if their heart flutters, all they want to do is take the next drug to get it back down. They don't think there's nothing we need to do to get anything checked out. Part of that really worries me because of if, because of the fact they're needing to work to get paid. The other part that bothers me is, and this may be the most dangerous, is that I'm afraid that they're doing it for of loss of who they are. Um, I've pumped the stuff, man. I mean, uh, the headaches, geez, the oxys, the hydrocodones, the oxys, you take it, uh, you twist your knee up, it's swollen. You get ice the next day. Um, I've actually, in Florida, I was released from the emergency room at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. afternoon. Um, my organs had um, malfunctioned. I'd spent all night and all day in a... Uh, uh, in a, an emergency room, I got out around three to four. I drove an hour down to Tampa and I wrestled against the Italian stand on TV that night. With the caveat that the doctor told me if I took a cross, if I took a chop across the chest, chances are the double pneumonia would flare up and I would, I would drown to death inside or either on the outside of the ring. This stuff's very real. But now, don't you think, in my opinion, mm -hmm. I'm a Christian just like you, and I'm yeah, go ahead. for being a brother in Christ. I thank you so much. You know, um, But I think that every organization needs somebody like a Steve Borden sting. You know, every organization needs somebody like a Mark Calloway or Shawn Michaels. You know, now, now that he changes lifestyle 20 years later, mm -hmm. you know, I think every organization needs that guy or girl because go either way that if you're struggling with something, I know Mark, if he's seen somebody struggling, he'd be like, come here, young man, let's go talk mm -hmm. and not berate him, but just say, listen, I got you. I got your back. 
if you need help, I'm here. And I think Steve is doing that, you know, with AEW, he did it with mm-hmm. WCW, Sean's doing right. it with the NXT guys. But I think that we can, they can save so many lives if somebody just stood up and said, you know what, it's okay not to be okay. Let's you know, Rick, I totally, totally, totally agree with what you're saying. There's one question I have. This is not playing devil's advocate, but you're you're going to go, uh-huh, when I say this. Is that good for business? Depends. That's I, hard, isn't it? <laughs> well, now, well, now with the internet and all that stuff, yeah. it, it's, it's not as easy. Um, but it's much better for business than them having to do a 10 ring salute every month or two. Kudos. Good point, Rick. Good point. You know, uh, I mean? you know me, good point. Seriously. And, you know, so, you know, how now, because let me just ask you as we're winding down, um, I, I went to the 12 step program. I tell everybody, you know, the 12 step program, led me back into my house that I got thrown out of. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big 12 step guy. Whatever people say, I don't care. I don't do drugs. I got a beautiful wife. I got a beautiful house. I got three mm-hmm. people. It works for me. But, you know, I believe that um, recovery is not an easy thing. And, I agree. And a lot of people, even I think I was just watching one of the shows and I don't want to give him credit again because, but they were saying that a, a lot of, I think it was might have been about Chris Chris Candido. Oh, you know, what yeah. an amazing dude, but he thought just because I go to another territory, things are going to change. And I tell everybody that, you know, I moved from New Jersey to South Carolina and back to New Jersey that wherever I go, I bring me with me. So I can move to Boca Raton, Florida in a million dollar home and if I want to go find a dope man, I'm going to find a dope man. So talk about, you know, how, how do you go about battling the demons? Sure. Um, first off, to me, the most important thing is acknowledging that they're there. How can, how can, you know, talking about uh, your experience in defense, it's kind of hard to fight a kind of hard to fight an enemy if you don't acknowledge they're there. Right. (laughs) So acknowledge they're there. Um, you know, for me, it may have, I may have gone through 20 steps, 20 steps, not realizing that I had. So, you know, I think a 12 step program is awesome. Uh, it may take somebody five. It may take somebody 10, whatever the case, but 20, 30. I mean, I was stubborn for a long time. But acknowledge, uh, not acknowledging those demons. Secondly, is understanding, number one, if we could just beat them real easy, they wouldn't be demons to begin with, right? So don't we don't have to say, yeah, they're the king of kings, lord of lords, but just admit, okay, those are some pretty powerful dudes. Now, we, we're going to go to war. We are going to go to war. Why? Because of the things you said, Rick. Beautiful kids, beautiful family. I'm not going to get lost up in this. I have a future. And I'm going to be blessed. 
and doggone it, just like you, and we're talking here, you found out your per you got a lot bigger purpose even now than you may have thought that you had 20, 30 years ago. But I, you know, I, I also think, you know, like, you know, um, you know, Scott, how many times did he go to rehab? You know, how many people yeah. did, cause I'm a big DDP guy, amazing dude, helping a lot of people help Jake help, helping buff, helping a lot of people. But I think there has to come to a point where for me, like I'm at my house, like I'm sitting here in my, my, my office, mm -hmm. 10 feet away is the refrigerator. Got <laughs> wine. I got beer. I got liquor. I don't drink. Uh, that's my wife's stuff. I, that has nothing to do with me. Right. No, I drink. I die. Next. There is no, there is no, oh, I can have one. I can have a little. That's my, that's where I cut off. I drink. I die. Next. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think you have, somebody has to say, you know, eventually you got to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. Right. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, and, you know, about the demons, I think we do, we've done a good job at saying that demons are powerful, acknowledge them and all that. Um, you know, I know we're about to wrap up, but the one thing that I would love to say, and Rick, I think you can vouch for this and I'd love for you to comment is the fact that demons can get their ass whipped. They can. It may be us working together, bruh. It may be us working together with a man upstairs. It could be us working, helping someone else. Remember how he may be, he may be the carpenter, but our hearts are the toolboxes. You know what I mean? They can get whipped. But, and I and I don't say that tongue in cheek, trying to just throw some French around. I'm I'm saying that because I'm that adamant that Rick. With love like yours, people will find love. So this is my clap to you, brother. And I appreciate you. But, you know, that's something we're all in this together. Yes. Um, and I tell everybody, uh, like I said, I'm a Christian. So I, I have no problem proclaiming my faith. Right, sure. He's in charge of everything. My father owns everything, so there's no way I can be broke. There's no way I can be poor because right. he owns everything already. But if, and I know that I'm here for a specific time. And once you know that, okay, like Jim Morrison, the great poet and singer, mm -hmm. one, nobody gets out of here alive. <laughs> you know, once True. you realize that God owns everything. Right. And, and you're supposed to have everything that he promised. But one of the, a lot of people talk about the fruits of the spirit, but they always leave out long suffering. For some reason, that's not one of the spirits that they always want to talk about. So I heard I, never pray for patience, dude, because you know what will happen. You'll have to wait. 
So, you know, we're all in this together. Like you said, if we're going to battle demons, why battle one alone? Why exactly. not put the brothers together and battle the same demon? Because then we can take the demon out together. Mm -hmm. So last question is, I love your book. By the way, I was reading it just, just before I, I got on because it's probably one of my favorite books of all time. Um, so I just wanted to say I love the book. Oh gosh, Ray, I, you're too good, Jamie. Thank you, Bubba. I love your I love your bride, Brenda. I love her so much. Um, so how do we find your book, and how do we support your mission? Well, thank you. As far as the book goes, uh, chances are when one's been sold, you'll find it in the trash can. No, I'm kidding. That's the kid. <laughs> okay, that's the CT talking. Okay. <laughs> Oh, Lord of mercy. Look, um, we have a website. It is a GoDaddy site. Um, all you have to do is look up Mark Smith, Brenda Smith, Wrestling with Demons. Uh, Mickey Rourke did a book, Wrestling with Demons, but as we know, Mickey Rourke is not a wrestler. So this is really getting into the mindset of a wrestler with demons. Um, it, it's... Uh, I was NWA star, WCW star, and uh, CWF, uh, which is Championship Wrestling for Florida, which I know you're very well familiar with. But now, now look, now look at, I mean, talking about wrestling with demons, look at the Graham family. Oh, wow. All the you suicides. Yeah. You're not kidding, man. Yeah. Um, this right here, Amazon is telling me it will be released today. Okay, woohoo! $17.99, that's drop shipped to your door. Share it, but also, please, you know, Christmas season's coming around. One thing about it, Rick, and this is something that I'm sure you'll tap on as we get closer to the holidays, is that for many, the holidays is actually the most depressing time. It is actually the highest rate of suicide. Yep. So... This is a great way for us to come together, for you to come together with friends, have a little study, get a little Bible study in, get whatever you need. But then, like you said earlier, Rick, and I love it, battle these demons together. And loneliness may be one of those demons. But now you also said that if there's somebody out there, you're willing to give a book away. Yes, I will send one that says not for sale. It will be an original proof, okay? And also, Rick, if you get a phone call or a message, you and I haven't talked about this, but uh, if you get a phone call or a message from someone and if your heart tells you, let's get in touch with this person, I'll do a conference call with you so where we can talk to the indivi an individual, and then we'll we'll pray for them as well. How's that sound, Rick? That sounds like a plan to me. So, guys, make sure you pick up the book. Like I said, I've read over six thousand books, and this is one of my top five books of all time. So Jeez. I just want to. And guys, I literally almost peed my pants when he told the story of about getting his pants wet in the ring. You're going to have to get the book. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Mike. 
get the book just to hear about that. But guys, make sure you pick up the book because um, it, it's going to do a lot. He's doing a lot of things for good. So guys, make sure you pick up the book. Check out his Twitter account. Amazing Twitter account. Um, he's doing a lot of great things. And guys, um, as you know, I'm a big Joel Osteen guy. And my favorite quote from him is, um, we have the choice today. We can be the victim or we can be the victor. So we can either be the victim of the demons or we can become victorious over the demons. Please help us help you destroy your demons. And Rick, any of my family would be more than willing if there's a daughter or a uh, son or a wife, anyone feeling that despair in their lives, Brenda, I'll get any of them would be happy to get on the phone and be able to share with them. Okay? I love it. So guys, make sure that you leave a comment how we did. If you enjoyed the show, we might do a part two, just talking about pro wrestling and getting, getting into a little bit more about how maybe you can become a pro wrestler. Mark brother. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful and humble for you. Hey, I love you, Bubba. Thank you. Have an amazing week and love give everyone. Brenda, and give Brenda a big kiss for me, okay? I'll do it, Bubba. Thank you so much, man. Love you. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.